0: Hey, before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about a place where dreams are made. If one of your New Year's resolutions is to get into the studio, finally get around to recording, maybe it's a single, an EP or an album, something you might have been talking about for a few years now, Bangers and Mosh Studios in Hardys Bay on the central coast of New South Wales there's a place for you. Bob Trigg, he runs the show there. We only just recently had him on the podcast uh, a few months ago. The studio was completed in July of last year. That's 2022, so it's pretty spanking new and offers a comfortable and relaxed space. He's got all the gear there as well, so you don't really have to bring anything. He's got the drums, guitars, amps, the whole lot. It's ideal for bands, singers, songwriters, even for people like me, podcasters, anyone who really wants to make a noise, It's all happening at Bangers and Mosh Studio. Say good day to Bob. Head to Bangers and Mosh. .com, that's bangers with a Z. Now it's time for today's episode.
1: Well, let's go, boys. The Street Press Podcast with Sean, Sean Fraser. For a start, there are not enough white men doing podcasts. I've got to always support that when that comes along.
0: I was talking to a mate today at a baby queue. Mm-hmm. We didn't cook a baby. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that yeah. was I just want to thank you. Yeah, no, was it was first. me. He wouldn't shake our head until he finished putting on his glove. Imagine what he's like during the pandemic. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, I got you here for the podcast after your big night last uh, night, so I'm stoked with that. I get a thrill knowing that you're doing what you're doing. That's good. good. Well, I don't know what I'm doing. Doing today, we're just sort of swinging it. Did you moon Kylie Minogue? Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Street Press Podcast. My name is Sean Fraser. It's 2023. It's the first episode of the year. I hope you had a great New Year's, and you brought in uh, 2023 in style. What did I do? Um, I was hanging out at a friend's house. We uh, we got to eight o'clock at night. Had a bit of a barbecue. And I was, <laughs> I was actually putting the feelers out to see if anyone wanted to actually go to bed. Um, that's how well I'm going at the moment. Um, I was bloody tired. But we stayed up and, uh, and we brought in the new year with uh, a couple of drinks and I did pay for it on New Year's Day. I hope yours was spectacular too. Well, this episode is the first one that has been requested. So at the back end of each episode, if you listen each week, I'll put a call out uh, for anyone... Who would like to put a request in? And I usually go and chase up the artist. You know, you can put in any artist you like. And Lincoln the Fever, his name has been mentioned a few times in both through email, uh, through Instagram. So I hit him up, and I let him know. I said, "Mate, a few people want to hear from you on the pod." So he was. It uh, was more than happy to jump on. Really nice guy, Lincoln. Uh, he is a punk rock singer from Tasmania originally. He now resides in Melbourne. He's actually a school teacher these days. And we spoke about uh, a few of his albums that he's released, in particular 2017's Come Undone, which is the last time he wrote music. So it's incredible to think here we are, 2023, and he hasn't really touched pen to pad uh, since 2017 or even before then. So uh, we we have a chat about what, what made him stop songwriting we chat about a few of the other things that he's been doing like he loves a bit of woodwork and uh, he likes building his own guitars which is really cool so uh, without further ado here he is lincoln the fever how are you going mate you going all right yeah a
1: bit dusty finished work for the year yesterday and had a few knockoffs
0: <laughs> that's good where are you at the moment you, you live in Melbourne.
1: Yeah, yeah. i live in Melbourne. I've been um, teaching at a high school here for seven years. What do you teach? Um, English. Do you enjoy being a teacher? I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, it's it's hard. You know, toiling around the edges of burnout for a few years now, but it's worth it most of the time. And you,
0: you're a teacher at a time over the last couple of years. It's been a bit of a challenge, hasn't it? Especially for not just for teachers, but for students as well.
1: Yeah, totally. Some of them. Did really well academically, you know, without any distractions and being able to work at their own pace. Some of them just flourished. But then socially it was hard. So, you know, some kids are basically one or two years behind where they'd normally be in terms of maturity. Just kind of kind of interesting. We all made it through.
0: Well, you're you're in two professions really that were hit massively, being a teacher and um and the music scene as well.
1: I kind of already I kind of already burnt out before lockdown, mu- music-wise. So I'd pretty much wrapped it up. You know, by the time lockdowns happened, I think we'd played maybe two shows in the last six months before that. And I, started, I wasn't really planning on playing any uh, when lockdown happened. So uh, I mean, I was still playing it outright at that stage, and that was that was tough, sort of jamming and coming out with ideas. But um, yeah, I was kind of didn't actually impact me as much as it has everyone else in that sense.
0: You've picked up the guitar again, though, recently. You've been playing a few shows, haven't you? I've
1: done a couple. We we thought we'd have a dip at playing a show as a band again Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of months ago back at the Curtain because we at that stage uh, the Curtain was going to be over, so we wanted to play there one last time. Um, Of course, now they've just signed a 10-year lease. (laughs) (laughs) They're still going, which is great. Uh, And then uh, just played a little front bar show at the Tote. Was
0: that the show... That I think you're going to have a support and then the support pulled out. So then
1: you just did two two sets. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> That's great. So the original idea was to do two sets. Okay. And then, uh, and then Jules, he, he's the band booker as well. He said, oh, why don't I play as well? I said, yeah, all right, cool. Um, but then you got COVID.
0: That's yeah. the thing, eh? You get through the two years of like sitting around doing nothing and then you want to play gigs again? People get vaccinated and whatnot, and then and then there's the sickness. You actually do get sick, and then the gigs. It's just never ending. This thing.
1: Yeah. And uh, so I've had a I've had a bass player since the very beginning. Uh, a guy called Richard. Uh, he's been with the Insiders since before we were actually called the Insiders. You know, we we're just sort of jamming out ideas back in Hobart. I think in like 2006 or seven. He moved. He moved to Melbourne. Then I think he moved to Sydney or Canberra and, uh, you know, we had a long time getting getting different fill-in bass players and he'd slide down wherever he could. Eventually, a couple of months ago, he, uh, well, actually, shit, it was a couple of years ago now, Yeah, he moved to Sydney for work. And like I said, that was before COVID and that's when we weren't really playing shows, so it wasn't a big deal. I made time, jumped, jumped on bass and joined the band. But, you know, Richard's never not going to be in the band. So when we did that last show, he was just itching to play. I think he misses playing gigs. We said, oh, okay, well, let's organise another show so that you can play it. So I've got one booked in January. And um, it was about this time, 10 years ago, that we were touring um, Resonation. So we decided we'd do a Resonation show.
0: Oh, that's cool. Richard People going to love tour. that.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be fun. So we're playing at the Brunswick Ballroom. Do
0: you think uh, it'll be a one-off, or I suppose you take
1: it gig by gig, or? Look, I'm not. I'm not going to throw in the towel at all. Um, I'm not really interested in playing as much as I used to. You know, I'm not not trying to make it big like I once was. Um, Happy playing the odd show. So yeah, we'll definitely play again, but um, a lot fewer and farther between than they used to be. I um. I got this podcast
0: together this year, but I've, I've actually listened to it for a few years now. And uh, the night before I dropped the episode, so on a Tuesday night and I dropped the episodes on a Wednesday, I put up this little poll and the poll is you got to pick out of four artists who I'm going to have on the next day. I, I make them guess, kind of thing. And I threw your name in there and obviously you weren't going to be on the next day. And um, it was someone else. And a few people hit me up and they said, oh, fuck you. Get Lincoln on.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I had two people, two or three people write that. And then I had someone contact me on email and say, You should you should chat to Lincoln the Fever. He said, you know, he'd just be a great guest. So here we are. Here you are. <laughs> and Thanks. It's, uh, it's great to have yes, you on. <laughs> <it>. <laughs>
1: uh, out of out of our hundred or so fans, um, they're very dedicated. The
0: songs I was just listening to you on YouTube, like um, and there's still some songs I'm discovering by yours, but I, I love um, I love some of the shows on YouTube that I've seen where you're um, just playing acoustic and you just got that crowd of just people around you, you know, just all, I think it was 2013 video and just hearing everyone in the crowd sing and stuff. You've got a, a really cool,
1: tight-knit following. Yeah. I mean, I started. They know all the words. <laughs> they do. It's great. Um, and it's one of the most validating things to to, you know, be able to fly somewhere else. And uh, and even if it is only you know ten or twenty people, like they're there and they're singing sometimes louder than I can. Yeah, which is kind of fun. Um, shout out to David James Young, another podcaster who is great, great front row singer. Yeah, I guess back in 2013, I was still I was still living in Hobart, and um, even a couple of years before that, I I just met a few people like Jamie Hay and Darren Gibson and. Dave Drayton, um, and so I was able just to just to fly over to Melbourne and do little shows, sometimes in the park. You know, we used to do park shows in Eddie Gardens and everyone loves Jamie and Gibbo. So, you know, I get 50, 80 people just hanging out in the park, sitting in a big circle. That's pretty good.
0: I'm just guessing I've got this vision of, like, long necks and um, people bring along bottles of wine or something. Is, is that the case? A lot of long necks, a lot of dogs. <laughs> That's cool. As you said, you're from Tassie. What brought you to to Melbourne? Music, or was it teaching, or
1: neither? To be honest, um, I, I never wanted to, because it's it's such a thing in in Tassie, and probably the same in any regional semi-regional place. That it's kind of seen as a a badge of honour or a rite of passage to move, especially if you're into the arts of any kind. And so I kind of wanted to make a point of not doing that. Like my my dream, I guess, when I was younger, was to to be able to stay based in Hobart, but tour anywhere, and have it have it pay for itself. But then, you know, got to my got to my thirties. I don't know. I, just, I was feeling a bit lost with a lot of things. By that stage, the rest of my band lived here in Melbourne, so I was just flying over to do shows.
0: Now, would have been expensive.
1: Well, yes and no. I mean, certainly cheaper than flying a whole band over. And it sort of got to the point where the band being here plus You know, a lot of my friends and support network were either from here by that stage or had moved over. It just felt like it was the right time. And, you know, if I sat back, I thought, I don't want to live in one place for my whole life, especially if I'm not really happy. So I uh, figured it was time. And you like Melbourne? You've been there a while. Yeah, I do. Sort of at the point now where everyone's, you know, that support network I had when I moved here, have all moved back home again. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but, uh, But I do like it here. And uh, yeah, just at the moment, I'm sort of really enjoying just getting out and about again, seeing Melbourne after two years of not really seeing it.
0: It's a um, bit of a magnet for the arts, isn't it, Melbourne, in Australia? Yeah. I mean, everyone goes there, but I suppose you're not really saying that's what happened with you, but you, you just found your way there. But um, you find a lot of good good bands and, and artists uh, are all based in Melbourne and they all know each other too. <laughs> yeah.
1: We feel left out here in Sydney, I think. <laughs> But it's interesting that you know the industry is still based in Sydney, mm. even if the venues aren't there. The industry is, and so you know you get just as many, if not more, artists coming out of coming out of Sydney. Just a different place.
0: Yeah, they just shut down Frankie's Pizza Bar. I don't know if you played there before, but
1: uh, I've never played no. there, but I'm certainly. Oh well, you know I had a look at the garage sale they're running on, on the internet. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. They're selling the um so they're they? selling the men's the men's bathroom door. <laughs> I'm actually I was half considering buying it. I think it'd be <laughs> hilarious. Someone <laughs> fucking rock it up to my house and I've just got Frankie's door as my actual bathroom
1: door.
0: <laughs> but yeah, they got the pinball machine up for sale as well.
1: They're selling a wooden fold back cover for $78. Yeah. The uh the,
0: the drum kit, the the house kit. I thought it was cheap. I think it was seven hundred and fifty bucks on there at one point. So would
1: have seen some use, I reckon.
0: <laughs> Just like the bathroom door. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I've always loved your songs, and the thing that I love about your songs—very easy to follow. The storylines of them are very easy, and that's 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 quite a skill in itself. Who taught you to, to write songs? Were you doing it on your own, or where did the love come from?
1: Ooh. Yeah, I, I taught myself. I picked up a lot of stuff along the way, you know. Um the first song that I wrote was in grade 9. It was for a girl called Alin that I had a crush on. And uh, apparently she still has it somewhere, but we never we never got together.
0: Um, How did you record that one? Uh
1: just playing guitar and singing into my tape deck. Nice. Yeah. Uh so I don't know, I just I just kept doing it and kept listening to other songs and trying to learn from what other people were doing. But, you know, by the time I got older, I mean, it sounds lame, but I went to some conferences, some, like, songwriting conferences and actually listened to some some speakers. And there were just a, there were one or two in particular that that said some stuff that just resonated, that I latched onto. But, you know, you learn stuff through poetry, through studying novels, short stories. Like, every everything's a teacher.
0: Being an English teacher, does that help?
1: Yeah. Or they help each other, maybe. But, you know, I taught creative writing a long time, and one of the good things was that as a teacher you model what you ask the students to do. So you know if I'm asking them to to write five hundred words on the theme of the campfire, <laughs> uh, you know they'll be doing it, but I'll be doing it as well, you know, in my notebook or on the board. So through doing that I was always writing uh, I think it just helped me keep my my chops up.
0: What are some of those things that you did learn you went to the conference? you said there was one or two. Is it, is, it, is it sort of what I'm saying like um keeping it precise to the point of stories because that's how I that's how I how I how I see your stories and they're truthful obviously they've got to be they seem to come from a really um deep place I suppose
1: no nothing that nothing that focused I think that's that's sort of more coming from me but maybe like there's one thing there's uh one one teacher called Pat Patterson who um teaches out of Berkeley in the in the US. who sort of had this idea of of just sort of mapping out mapping out your songs um, before you start writing you know so that you so that you know what you want to say at the start you know what you want to come back to or repeat you know what you want to add to it uh, with and and so essentially you're kind of working structurally um, from the start and then having this this idea of this um this, this sort of word bank or this sort of tone or, or key that you're going to write in um, and you know he talks about key, not in a musical sense, but in a, you know, in like a, a tonal sense. So you know you might you might write in the key of loss, or the key of leaving, the key of summer, or something like that. And so you just sort of do a lot of word work, things like
0: that. I know for some people they're just sitting there with a the guitar and they're they're playing a few chords and then they're just humming, um, and then they sort of get the words and match that to the humming, try and rhyme it. Is there a method to your madness? Do you go about it the same way every time?
1: No, definitely not. A lot of the times that's exactly how it starts. You know, I sit down, I hum, I uh, make nonsense words until it starts sounding like actual words. And then usually once I've got that, you know, those nonsense words will kind of suggest what the song's going to be about. But by that stage I'll have like an idea for like a melody and, and a rhythm. And that's when I'll go away, put the guitar away and just go on. Nut something out, but other times, like I used to write. See, I haven't found a, a spot, a place here in Melbourne. I used to have a there are a couple of places that I would just sit and write every day, um, every couple of days. One was a, a shitty cafe. Um, the other one was, my you know, favourite pub. And so I just I'd at least spend twenty minutes, half an hour, just writing every day. And sometimes an entire song would would take shape just on the page and then I'd, I'd sort of work, it, work the opposite way and sort of try and make a fit or, you know, somewhere between the two. Like I'd have an idea for a song on the guitar and then, I'd, you know, look through all my pages, of mostly bullshit, um, and try and find the nuggets of gold in there and sort of ram them together. I haven't done it for such a long time. I need to get back into it.
0: When was the last time you wrote a song?
1: It was the lyrics to the first song on Come Undone.
0: Wow, so that's the 2017, isn't it? All yeah. right, yeah. so you haven't written in written a song. Years. That's a long time.
1: Yeah, I know. Does that play on your mind? Yeah. It did, but then I kind of let go. I kind of let go of it and thought, well, if, you know, if that's it, then that's it. You know, I would like to. I feel good when I finish something, you know, that, that my favourite part of the whole process is, is the actual, is the end of it. Yeah, when you've got all these puzzle pieces and and you finally they just click into place, that's my favourite part, and I, I miss that feeling. So, you know, I would like to do that. And then, you know, playing it for the first time, getting a response the first time, like I, I miss that.
0: I'm actually blown away by that because uh, that Come On Down album is is amazing. It truly is really good. Like I heard it back then, and uh, just put it on this week. I loved not only the lyrics and the and the singing stuff, just the way it was recorded and the, and the sounds of the guitars and um it's brilliant. But it is crazy to think you haven't written since then. Yeah. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Either. No, no, no.
1: <laughs> but, you know, I think it's because well, I mean, it's a lot of reasons. If I'm being honest, but my like my mental health wasn't great when yeah. we wrote that, and it got worse afterwards. Um, and so. I'd stopped reading. Like I just found it too hard to focus on the page. You know, I'd try reading a book and I'd get two pages in and then just realise that I've read the same thing over and over. And so, like, I I love reading. I love books. I love analysing. I just can't do it. Yeah. Um, And I'm just at the moment sort of trying to get back to a a spot where I'm reading again. And I think I think if I can get my reading back up, then then the words will start coming again.
0: So it seems like reading can inspire you to write is there, oh, other, are absolutely. there other yeah are there other things um listening to other music
1: or w- w- what else inspires you to- yeah, listening to other music does but it's a bit more problematic because you know everyone would relate to this that, that writes you know the more you take inspiration from something in particular the more you just end up um accidentally ripping it off yeah yeah or a- purposefully ripping it off <laughs>
0: Paul Kelly says it's okay to do that. Yeah. Just just little bits. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. He reckons a couple of his songs are bits and pieces of others, but they're just just small enough pieces that no one would notice.
1: Quite often used to do things like, uh, you know, I might take the melody to a Lemonhead song and then invert it or switch it to the minor key and see what it sounds like over a different chord progression. So, yeah, absolutely. Love doing that stuff. Makes me think that I'm actually not very original. Like there's nothing original about <laughs> anything I've done. It's just all all borrowed and mashed up from something else. And there's only so many chords. Yeah, I know.
0: Does uh you know getting on stage this this month and thinking about a gig next month, is that exciting for you? Do you love playing on
1: stage? Um yes and no. It got to the point where I didn't anymore before lockdown. That's one of the things that slowed me down. There's this thing, the great thing that happens sometimes when you're performing or when you're doing anything is you get into this this flow state um where you are, you know, purely in the present moment. But it, it sort of goes beyond that where you're not you're not even thinking about the present moment. There's just no thought whatsoever. You might you might finish a song and then not actually remember anything from the past three or four minutes. I miss that feeling. Um I miss the crowd response, but I'm also too dependent on that validation that I get from the crowd response. So, um, you know, if it's not there, I can tend to come away a bit flat. But I, it sort of got to the stage at the end where you know I might be playing a show and I wasn't wasn't even close to being present. You know, spent the whole show thinking about other stuff and just having a miserable time. Um, a few times where I just couldn't finish the set. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, I thought I was going to start crying to the microphone. So I just put the guitar away and go home.
0: <laughs> wow. So, so you're halfway through playing an acoustic show or something, not with, not with the band. Not with the band. No, but you just sort of
1: just pack it up, close it. See you guys. Thanks. Yeah. Wow. Um, which obviously is shit for an audience, but I think it's shit for an audience to watch that kind of show anyway if I'm not feeling it. Is that when you're playing a, a lot of shows or? No, I think it was more. After that, so when I was playing a lot of shows, I was, you know, I had this momentum up, but I was having a good time, but I think it was, was after that when the momentum had sort of fizzed out a bit and I was just feeling a bit fizzed out myself. But having said that, it's different when you're playing with a band and, you know, you've got your mates on stage with you, what they're doing sounds amazing. It's kind of different. That's that's a bit more fun. And um, I, I was actually really dreading that last show we did at the Curtain. Um, I, I didn't want to do it. And then the, the others said, why don't we just have a jam so you see how it feels? And so I did. And I was like, actually, yeah, you know, this is kind of fun. Yeah. Um. And then it got closer to the gig and I was like, oh, I don't know, kind of nervous. What if I hate it? And I, I had a great time. I kind of realised that I did actually miss playing with those guys. Um and I I'm actually looking forward to this one. I'm at the stage now where I'm looking forward to the show. <laughs> good, um, good. Even if you know we don't sell enough tickets, who cares? It's gonna be great. you
0: um you've been in a few bands, haven't you? And um Rat Cat? <laughs> <laughs> Sarah are you doing some covers or tell me, tell me, tell me about that.
1: Tim Stewart, um, a friend of mine, he messaged me a couple of months ago and said, Do you like Rat Cat? <laughs> I said, I mean, I did. <laughs> in grade seven, it was actually the, the f- very first song that I taught myself to play on the guitar was "Don't Go Now" by Ratcat. And yeah, he said, "Do you want to you want to be in a Ratcat cover band called Cat Rat?" And I was like, "You know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, bit of fun, bit of silliness. <laughs> I, I've got to learn some lyrics though, which um, is not one my not one of my strengths." I was going to say, do you have any
0: tips to when it comes to lyrics and remembering other people's lyrics? Rubbish, just rubbish at it.
1: You just got to, you just got to do it and do it and do it.
0: I know, and that's the thing—you never find the
1: time. I used to, um, I used to get a bit of A3 paper and write down the first word of each line, and that was all because that's all I need. You know, I just need that that reminder. But then I find that I never look at it, and as soon as I do try and look at it, I get. You read the wrong line on or... the page, and then I just lose my spot anyway. Yeah, no. Look, I'm I quite often forget the words. I played this, um, yeah, played this gig at the Tote, and I was digging songs out of the archive, and just some of them had to stop. One of them, I had to get someone to like get their phone out and play the song so I could hear the words. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was embarrassing, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm shit at words. I've been,
0: I've seen all sorts of things on the stage, and I've done all sorts of things on the stage, but some of the bloopers including like someone starting with the capo at the wrong spot and then, and then fucking (laughs) try and get to the chorus. And then you can see the fear in their eyes where they know they cannot hit the chorus because the capo is way too far up the guitar. Yeah, I've seen people stop songs and move the capo down. And then you're like, Oh, now it makes no sense to anyone.
1: I'm guilty of everything you've just mentioned. (laughs) Yeah. So am I.
0: So am I. It's um, and it's funny because the, that's the sort of shit when you when you jam all week, you're like, I've got to make sure that I've got the number next to the song number two, so I put it on capo two, so that I don't have that. It's honestly the nightmare you think of, and then you're on stage, and the nightmare occurs, and it's the worst.
1: My, uh, thankfully, Richard or my bass player and and Tomo, the other bass player, are both really switched on at that shit. And they will look at me and just go, nah, you're in the wrong spot. Um, and yeah, Richard even has a spare capo in his in his, uh, pedal board because he knows that I'm going to forget it. That's the thing about the band that I've got. Um, they're, they're just so good. Um, I can be having the shittest night and be fucking everything up, but they still make it sound good. And it's it's a, it's a nice luxury to have, to tell you.
0: I know that you're a big fan of the Beatles. and um... You you reckon that you can tell if a singer no, has listened to the Beatles?
1: There's this theory. It's not my it's not my theory. You know, for, for my generation at least, a lot of parents were pretty strictly divided into either the Stones or the Beatles camps, um, which means that for kids like me, we we grew up either listening to one or the other. Um, I mean, of course, there was a bunch of people out there listening to both, but there was you know a reasonably clear delineation. And so the theory is that people that in their infancy, and in, you know their early, their formative years, or listening to lots of lots of stuff like the Beatles, then they have this more uh, stronger innate sense of melody and harmony and and chords or harmonic progression, I should say. Whereas for someone that listened to the Stones, they've got a stronger sense of rhythm, maybe you know something more artistic and emotive, you know, from from other things. The theory is that if someone's someone's got a a pretty strong sense of melody in their music, there's a good chance they grew up listening to the Beatles. And the theory goes that um, that's going to continue for this next generation because a lot of kids have either grown up listening to the Wiggles or Yo Gabba Gabba. Um,
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. It's a funny comparison, Uh, probably not on the same level as each other, but I suppose that's true. And they were – the Wiggles were the cockroaches, right? Mm -hmm. And – and a few of the songs that became like Hot Potato or whatever, they were cockroach songs. They really? Just changed, they just changed the words. That's what I believe. Uh, that's what I heard. And, um, and, geez, it paid off. Absolutely.
1: Maybe I should have started with children's songs.
0: <laughs> you, it's never too late. I mean, they did it later in life. And I, I was actually watching an interview with, um, I think it was Anthony. He got pulled over by a copper because he was speeding and the copper walked up, he winds down his window and the copper looked at him. He said, Oh, I can't find you. My fucking son will blow up. To <laughs> <laughs> so it pays to be a, a children's rider, I suppose.
1: <sighs> Next career.
0: Anyways. Uh, what do you got plans for your, your, your holidays? You, you get a few of them being a teacher. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I got a couple. Uh, I've just moved house. Yep. Uh, I haven't f- sort of really finished setting up the joint. Um, I've been making furniture. You know, around the same time that I stopped playing music, I started building shit. What are you building? Well, I've actually I knocked off all my jobs. Um, last one was a just made a new guitar for for school. You know, made the bed, made made a kitchen island, all right. benches, a bit of you know some custom jobs. So you're pretty handy um, then. Oh, they're pretty shit, but I'm getting better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I, I keep thinking, I keep looking outside my house, and we've got a pretty shit outdoor setting. And I'm like, how hard is it to build a table? How hard is it to build some chairs? But I'm probably wishful thinking there. I think I'd be fucking horrible. <laughs> uh, that's not hard. YouTube, YouTube yeah. helps, doesn't it? Yeah. And what What does a bed cost to make? I don't even know. I think
1: I think mine was maybe six hundred bucks. That's still expensive though, right? It is, but all the timber is Tasmanian. And there's a company down there that's called Hydrowood that have figured out a way to salvage logs that have been flooded at the bottom of lakes so you know back in the back in the 70s and 80s the hydroelectric commission were were flooding lakes to um uh, to build hydroelectric um uh, power stations which is great because you know in one on one hand it's great because it means that tassie is nearly 100 renewable but it also means that we destroyed quite a bit of forest and mm. and um wilderness in the, in, in the process, but yeah, this company's figured out how to, to get the timber from the bottom of those hydro dams and then, you know, dry it out and, uh, and sell it. So I wanted, yeah, I just wanted to make a bed out of that stuff. put a couple of guitars made out of it too.
0: Yeah. So what sort of guitars are you making? You know, like acoustic, electric, is it a telly shape? Is it a Fender Strat?
1: I think the acoustic will be, that's a whole other level of skill that I'm not at yet. I've got a, a bit of telly Deluxe for myself nice is it and, there uh it's in the other room i'd love Do you to, want to see it? <laughs> yeah i'd love to see <laughs> it oh, oh wow that's good enough to see that but that's unreal you can find that hanging in a shop oh look there's lots of shit wrong with it if you look <laughs> up close but right, so i sort of took a big chip out here and then had to yeah. had to repair it the neck doesn't quite fit properly that's all right it what's the, the action what's the action like? yeah
0: it's good and are you got to play with
1: that yeah, I've done the last couple of shows with it. It all right. I made a Strat for my dad. Um, dad had a 64 Strat when he played in a band in the 60s. And He, he sold it when he was, you know, when he had to buy a car for his job. And he's, you know, always talked about it since. So, I, um, you know, just before Christmas, I started asking questions about it. Remember that guitar you had? What <laughs> colour was it again? Yeah, right. Um, did it have this or that? And then, yeah, so I started, like, building up this replica. Even, you know, got the same timber from, from the US.
0: He must have loved that.
1: Yeah, but he, because I was asking him about the guitar so much, he got interested. And then he saw like a Squire copy on the wall of um, the music shop in Hobart. Yeah. And he bought it. Ah. Oh. So that was about a month before Christmas. And he goes, Oh, you know how you ask me about the guitar? Yeah, I bought one. I'm like, Fucking hell, that. Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, so he's got two now. So now he's got two. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And um do you get a, more of an accomplishment when you finish building a guitar than say writing a song? It was what's the feeling like uh, working with wood? I know it really chills people out.
1: Um uh, yeah, it's a different different feeling, different sense of accomplishment.
0: All right, mate. Well, uh, thanks so much for having a chat with me. Very, very chilled uh, sort of thing this podcast. We just chat about anything, it just goes anywhere. I don't write any bloody questions, so um uh. <laughs> well,
1: they've been good ones, so you know it, really <laughs>
0: There he is, nice fella. That is Lincoln LaFeva. Go and check him out on Spotify. You can find his music, Come Undone, that album in 2017. If you love a bit of punk rock or you just love really good, solid, wholehearted poetry, it's a great mix. So check it out, Come Undone, 2017. All right, time for this. Yeah, this is the part of the show where you can write on in and that's what Tim Travers did. He wrote in asking if I could interview Lincoln LaFever which I, uh, I did, as you can see. This is the episode. So uh, if you want to do that as well, hit up the streetpresspodcast.com forward slash request, put in the artist, the name of the artist, and uh, I'll hunt them down and see if they want to jump on the Street Press pod. As for my band, the Ritzy Kids, we have a new single out this month. It's going to be released a little later, so keep your ears out for that. That's it for this week's episode. Catch you next week. ta da